This is the Pro Football Doc Podcast with Dr. David Chow. As a practicing orthopedic surgeon who's performed hundreds of procedures on NFL players and as the former longtime head team physician for the San Diego Chargers, Dr. Chow uses his insider knowledge to decipher injuries to a documented 95% accuracy level. He's the Sirius XM sports medical analyst and is quoted everywhere from Sports Center to NFL Live. More than 100,000 followers can't be wrong in following him on Twitter, looking for his instant insights on injuries during games. Now, Dr. David Chow, the pro football doc. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another pro football doc podcast. This is post week two, headed into week three podcast. Welcome aboard today. A good show today. We'll have Clay Travis on for our guest segment from Outkick. But in the meantime, let's bring on our producer, Greg Peterson. Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, how's it going, Doc? I'm doing fine. Can you play quarterback? Well, I personally have not I, thrown I, the I ball around. I, can, I, I, know you, I know you can bowl that round ball, but can you play quarterback? I could throw underhand better than I could throw overhand, but with the shortage of quarterbacks we have right now, I might be pressing to duty. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's just too bad. I mean, uh, people have said to me, oh, what a horrible injury day Sunday was. And I look at it and go, it's only horrible because it was two Hall of Fame quarterbacks, right? I mean, there the injuries weren't, oh, my God, horrible. There's If you really count what we say, catastrophic season-ending injuries league-wide, it wasn't that bad. But when it's the two two of the big-time quarterbacks, it's a... It's a huge deal, and uh, certainly we've had a run on quarterbacks going down, and we'll talk about it a little later with uh, Clay Travis. He pointed out some things, but with Big Ben, Breeze, at least this season's not done. We'll talk about him. Luck already down. Foles went down week one. Darnold out for a while. I mean, uh, <laughs> a lot of carnage there. A lot of carnage there. Oh, absolutely, and you even take a look at Aaron Donald having to leave the game momentarily in that Saints versus Rams game as well. That could have been a lot worse than what it was. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, we'll. I guess we'll. Uh, we won't bury the lead. We'll talk about Big Ben for a, a minute here, as well as uh, Drew Brees slash Aaron Donald. Big Ben. First of all, it's kind of making sense. You've heard me, Greg. Uh, in the end, if it doesn't make sense, it will. When we know all the facts and. It didn't make complete sense to me when Big Ben, you know, reached for his elbow, didn't see any trauma, and then shaking his hand and worried about ulnar collateral ligament, ulnar nerve, but didn't see a particular play. He would talk to the doctor, and then he walked into the locker room by himself, like, heck, like it was a bathroom break or something, and then came back out with no wrap on his elbow and just was on the sidelines. And I kept expecting him to do the Willis Reed moment and come back into the game like he's known to do. But he just watched his team, you know, lose to the Seahawks and did not come back in. And that, to me, was a very strange constellation of uh, events. And I went back and looked at all the game tape, did not see an acute injury to the elbow. But the first inkling of the elbow, he looked over to the sideline. And it was almost like he was saying, and I know I'm imagining this, but I said this on Sunday before the news came out. I said, it looked like he looked over and said, hey, guys, it happened. 
We talked about it. Yep, that's what happened. And that could explain that fact that he didn't need a wrap, that he went in on his own, that they basically knew that this was a possibility. And post-game, it all made sense. There's been word from Diana Rossini and some others that uh, he'd been dealing with an elbow issue all last week and maybe a little bit in the first game against Seattle. In fact, um, Mason Rudolph admitted that he knew about this possibility. And uh, the fact that it wasn't an acute injury without one particular mechanism now makes sense. The, the whole walking in alone, the body language, the everything else, to me, it makes sense. Now, with this fact pattern, I would not be surprised if the NFL takes a look at this. You're supposed to report injuries. I'm not saying the, the Steelers broke a rule. There's a lot of leeway. They could say, look, yeah, he had an elbow issue, but there was no risk of him missing practice or game time. He missed Wednesday for veteran rest. He always does that. That was truthful. And no, we didn't tell you about the elbow and because we didn't need to. And they might be right, but uh, in my experience, the NFL cares more about quarterback injury reporting than backup left guard injury reporting. And they might take a look at it because it's a public case, especially with gambling essentially here in the United States and more and more states. So that's going to be an interesting one to follow along with uh, right there. Drew Brees, one of the things that happened with him and his thumb, and we talked about it at the profootballdoc.com website, we talked about the possibility of the ulnar collateral ligament, and this is the ulnar collateral ligament in the thumb, whereas Big Ben is in the elbow, the Tommy John ligament. Some interesting compare and contrast to Drew Brees and Big Ben. They both have missed very little time. One game at most in the last handful of years. They both were injured on Sunday. They both were injured in the first half and missed the entire second half. They both have ligament damage, both to the ulnar collateral ligament, and of course, the ulnar collateral ligament uh, in the thumb versus the elbow. They're both needing surgery. They're both going to miss multiple weeks. I suppose the big difference here now is that Drew Brees is going to come back, I believe, in six weeks. New Orleans is not done. As my little, I just saw in SportsCenter, Scott Van Pelt talking about this, the Saints were eight to one to win the Super Bowl, and now they're 25 to one. If you believe in them at eight to one, 25 to one might be a bargain because Drew Brees is going to be back for the second half of the season, at least the way that I see it. So uh, there might be a bargain to be had there if you were a Saints believer in the first place. Surgery, believe it or not, is going to accelerate the recovery. It's reliable. So that's where the big difference between Breeze and Big Ben ends. Breeze will be back this season for sure. Big Ben won't. Big Ben's injury could leak a little bit into early next season, but we'll see. A little too early to go down that road. Moving on here to a couple quick topics. Sterling Shepard ended up with a hit where he was staggered. And apparently, the eye in the sky and no one on the sideline signaled for him to be checked. And now he's in the concussion protocol. So now the NFL is investigating. Also, in the Sunday night game, Jason Kelsey, apparently, I didn't see him, but the announcer, Al Michael, said it, 
walked to the wrong sideline, and the game was stopped to get him to the correct sideline. Now, amazingly enough to me, assuming that fact pattern was true, and he did not that he walked two or three steps to the wrong sideline, but actually made it to the sideline, and unless there's some factor where he said he knew he's on the wrong sideline, but he was too tired to walk all the way across and he didn't want to delay play or something. They check him for a concussion. But walking to the wrong sideline is dis- evidence of disorientation and you should be excluded from the game. Yet he returned. I'm not sure what happened there, but that might warrant an NFL investigation as well. The Sterling Sharp incident, I see how it can happen because when there was only one spotter in the sky, this is a couple of years ago, I said, that's not enough because you need one for each team. And when they added two, I said, well, you know, actually you need three because one for each team. And when, let's say the giant spotter is rewinding and looking at Sterling Sharp to decide whether to buzz down or not, someone else can be scanning the field and or all other replay angles at the same time. That's the only way you don't miss stuff. From the sidelines, it's possible to miss stuff. I was there. The sideline view is not always the best. You see the trees in front of you, but you don't necessarily see the forest because you're at ground level and you're looking across bodies. That's why they have the eye in the sky. But that's going to be an interesting thing as well in terms of where they go with that investigation. Sterling Sharp with the spotter and Jason Kelsey with going to the wrong sideline. I've got to get in on here on this. Sterling Shepard, not Sterling Sharp. Sterling Sharp used to play for my Packers. Sorry, my bad. Sterling Shepard, 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 Shepard. Thank you. You can edit that and fix that, can't you? Oh, I've got you, but we're leaving it in here. <laughs> You're going to make fun of me. Sterling <laughs> exactly. Shepard, 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 Shepard. That's okay. That shows you how sleep-deprived I, I, I am with this pro football doc effort and Sundays and up and around. Earlier today when I was talking about Adrian Phillips, I actually said Adrian Peterson. Adrian Phillips, <laughs> and we'll cover him, safety for the Chargers. Obviously, big difference there. So thank you for correcting me. Of course, you let me go down the road quite a bit before you did correct me. I don't know. I might have to get you back for that one. I give you one, and then when I hear it another time, then it's like, okay, now we've got to step in. Yeah, you could have just helped me out with a quick, quick shepherd. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I'll remember. Just kidding. Monday Night Football, uh, Odell Beckham obviously he had his watch issue. He had this uh, different shield on his visor shield on his helmet and he was pulled off the field for a third down play a couple of background things on that i don't know how they even let him in for the first down play secondly yes it's illegal the nfl has strict rules the darker shields require medical approval now there is a brand of lighter shield that anyone can wear shocker due to a marketing deal (laughs) with a sunglass or shade company. So the lighter one anyone can wear, but the darker ones need NFL approval for medical purposes. If you remember, LT had one of those. There were other ones. Uh, I'll have to ask LT if uh, I can actually say what his medical issue was. You know what, Greg, we should probably get him on the podcast and we'll ask him. Oh, uh, That would be a pretty darn good guess right there. Yeah, um, if he'll take my call, I'll reach out to him. No, he's a good guy. We just got to schedule it. He is working hard at NFL Network, et cetera. 
But uh, you need a medical excuse for the darker shields. And the NFL's logic is that uh, if you wear the darker shield, there's risk because if a trainer or doctor comes out to evaluate you, they can't see your eyes or if the eyes are rolled in the back of your head or what your vision and if you're tracking and following. And you know what I say to that every time, Greg? I roll my eyes. That is <laughs> a laughable <laughs> situation. First of all, you can take the shields off. Second of all, you can take the helmet off. Third of all, you can see through the shields. It's These are not dark, dark, dark Ray-Bans that you can't even see their eyes. I mean, and by the way, you have flashlights to examine eyes and other things. So, look, it is what it is. We all know the NFL finds you if your socks don't meet your pants. You get fined if your pad isn't in the, in the right spot. If you have any logos on that are not approved, you get fined. Uh, there's no cutoffs. It's about uniformity. The league has a uniform guy on each sideline that hands out fines. It's usually a former player. And it's about uniformity. They're about the shield, not the individual. That's why the Odell Beckham watch issue. That's why the shield. That's why everything and everyone's got to look the same. And uh, it is what it is with the shield. I like how you mentioned the shield in regards to a shield. Yes, you noticed that, huh? I did. Shield, visor, shield. But it's about the shield. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just trying to call a spade a spade. And, uh, you know, I respect the NFL, but a trainer can't see your eyes. I mean, <laughs> that's an eye roll and, and in and of itself. The medical excuses that are there, I'll give some generic ones. Vision issues, uh, light sensitivity, migraine headaches, seizure disorder, a lot of, for lack of a better word, soft reasons, <laughs> put it, to put it there. I didn't violate any HIPAA confidence in, in, in any of that. I'm just giving a, a short list of some of the things that it could be. In any case, let's take a break here, Greg. I think we're about that time. And uh, when we come back from the break, let's uh, turn the tables. I get to interview Clay Travis for once. Uh, and he's the one always interviewing me every week. This is the Pro Football Doc Podcast with Dr. David Schell. All right, let's welcome back from the break here, and let's welcome in a very special guest on the Pro Football Doc Podcast. First time on the podcast, a name known nationally, a star, and I get to uh, turn the tables on him. I'm on his OutKick show every Thursday morning. And uh, this time, I get to ask him questions. The uh, great Clay Travis, welcome to the Pro Football Doc Podcast. Well, I appreciate you having me, and thanks for coming on the show. Uh, feedback's been fantastic on you, making us hopefully a little bit more educated about some of the challenges, concerns, and uh, difficulties as it pertains to figuring out who's going to be on the field, how long they might be out, and, uh, and the overall uh, approximate details surrounding so many of these different injury situations. Yeah, thank you for having me on, and thank you for, for uh, putting me on the end of your uh, show because of the time change. It helps me a little bit. Uh, yeah, no, it's like it's definitely been a uh, an, an alteration in my uh, regular life over the last three or four years to be waking up at uh, 4.30 a.m. my time 
uh, to be live uh, six to nine a.m. Eastern on the uh, on the East Coast, obviously, and then three to six a.m. as the country wakes up uh, on the West Coast. So. Uh, fortunately, things have been going well, but certainly uh, there are a lot of times when that alarm goes off in the 4 a.m. hour where I question what in the world I'm doing with my life. <laughs> well, you need to wake up that early because you're everywhere. You have so many different projects going on and your TV show with Fox, the lock it in. I mean, you, you need to get up that early and then life and family and the kids, right? That's how you get it all done. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and fortunately, my kids are young right now. I've got an 11 and 9 and a 4-year-old. So the kids are young, and so they, they tend to be around the house a lot. I think as they start to get older and we have more and more evening activities, maybe this uh, this morning schedule will get even more challenging. But yeah, look, I mean, the, the amount of time that I free time that I have is pretty uh, is pretty minimal given uh, the, the young family and uh, all the other things going on, certainly. Yeah, so uh, thanks for making the time here. So on Sunday, you went to the uh, football game there, and you're not going back again? You're a big football guy. Why? Well, I'm not going for the Titans-Colts anymore. Uh, I have been to a lot of these games over the years, uh, and uh, I'm retiring from the Titans-Colts rivalry. The Titans are 3-19 and in their last 22, and uh, I live in Nashville, and uh, I took uh, my family and crew, and uh, I've been in there way too many times to watch the Titans find a way to choke away a game against the Colts. So I'll put it on television. I'll kick back and watch uh, a lot of other games going on simultaneously, but uh, I don't need to uh, to make the trip. Uh, to go watch a uh, an outcome that I'm already confident is going to be uh, one that I don't like. <laughs> so you're not swearing off the Titans, just the Titans when they ho- host the Colts. Just going to the game. I'll watch it on television. You know, that way I don't have to spend the time or the effort or the energy or the uh, or the money to go watch it in person. But uh, but this one broke me. Uh, everything was set up for the Titans. Andrew Luck retires. Colts turned the ball over twice. Adam Vinatieri puts two extra points off the goalpost, and uh, the Titans still can't find a way to win. I'm ready to to not have to go watch these games in person anymore. Clay, uh, you, you know maybe you should make lemons out of uh, lem- lemonade out of lemons. Uh, maybe it should be your lock it in pick all the time. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I should be. Uh, I should be. I would have won a lot more if I just stuck with the Colts against the Titans for sure. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things, and we've talked a little bit about on your show, is that everyone's like, okay, Andrew Luck is out, the Colts aren't 100%, but they're actually very healthy, other than Darius Leonard now with a concussion that was reported after the the Titans game. I mean, they had 21 or 22 starters healthy, and uh, only Jacoby Brissett was the only change, and and this time, as we talked about, he's had six months as the starting quarterback before the season, not six days like his last foray. So at least in terms of uh, health, uh, anyways. Yeah, so, well, look, uh, I mean, you also need to post more than 17 points. I mean, there are a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL who can win games when uh, when you only when you win and don't even get to the 20s. So uh, I think the Titans offense was what lost this game uh, more than anything else. I got you. I mean, I, I actually love the Titans. I love Coach Rabel and, and company, but I don't know what you thought about this, Clay, and I'm not, not trying to make this podcast all about the Titans. I think it said a lot when they drafted Jeffrey Simmons in the first round. No, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think it, when you draft somebody who's probably not going to play, and you know his health prognosis better than I do, but when you draft somebody in the first round who is not going to be ready to play and make a uh, make a substantial impact in year one, to me it's a sign that you know your team is not prepared to make a legitimate run at a uh, championship or even a division title. Now, maybe, maybe you 
uh, have better prognosis than I do, but my understanding is that he won't play this year. And, uh, you know, first round draft picks are so incredibly valuable. It may make a lot of sense next year and the year after, but for this year being a contract year for Marcus Mariota, uh, I thought they would go in and draft somebody that they thought could have an immediate impact on this year's team as opposed to kind of building for the future. Well, your assessment is right. It's pretty clear to me that Jeffrey Simmons is a pick for the future and not for this season. I mean, he heard it training for the combines. There's just no time for him to be effective this season. The Titans aren't dumb. They knew it. They picked him. And that's why I say, look, on the bad news side, maybe they don't have a lot of confidence in this season being their year. Or on the good news side, they really want to load up for the future because they have a lot of confidence coming down the road. And, uh, you know, certainly uh, even last year, Coach Rabel and company manufactured a lot of wins. And we've talked about that with Marcus Mariota and his health and all the other issues with his ulnar nerve, et cetera. But they're your local team. At least you have one. My Chargers are up the road now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, it's uh, it's look. The NFL puts on a production that is uh, that is, I think, the be- the best pro sport to be following by far. All thirty two NFL communities certainly uh, the the talk of football dominates. And the best thing about it is, as our world kind of be- becomes more complicated, I think there are a lot of people who can't keep up with an NBA team or an NHL team or a Major League Baseball team on a night to night basis because there's so many games. And there's so many other uh, responsibilities, obligations, and even entertainment options that are out there. And so the NFL still, you know, if you follow one particular team, you can kick back for three hours on a Sunday and college football is certainly the same way on Saturdays. And, uh, and you don't have to commit that much time to be able to talk with authority uh, with all of your friends about, uh, about the teams that you're all watching. Gotcha. So shifting gears a little bit, um, you're obviously a big SEC guy. I'm going to give you a fill in the blank here. New England or Dallas coming up next week versus Miami as to an SEC team, Alabama, fill in the blank versus who in college football? Probably Vanderbilt uh, would be, uh, you know, not to take a shot at Vanderbilt, but historically Vanderbilt has been the worst team in the SEC. Kentucky has been good in the last couple of years, but historically they've been pretty bad. I mean, it's a team that, uh, you know, you get up to an 18 or a 19 point spread in an NFL game. And that's probably the equivalent of an in-conference game that you're favored. Like LSU is playing against Vanderbilt this weekend. And the most recent number I saw was LSU minus 23. Uh, so to me, that's, uh, that, that's probably the equivalent. Well, at least you stayed in the SEC. You didn't go Mountain West on Miami Dolphins. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you got to got to put them on the same caliber. I mean, there are 32 NFL teams. There's 14 in the SEC. You know, I think you'd probably have to stay in conference at least uh, to try to exercise and demonstrate the discrepancy between the top and the bottom of a conference. So if uh, Vanderbilt plays Alabama or LSU, as you said, they play him 10 times, uh, how many times does LSU or Alabama win? 10. Uh, you know, in, in this year, uh, I think if they played 10 times, Alabama would beat, uh, beat, beat Vanderbilt 10 times. And I think LSU would beat, uh, Vanderbilt 10 times. But I think LSU, but I think LSU and Alabama are two of the three or four best teams in college football this year. Uh, and certainly both top 10 caliber teams. And I don't think Vanderbilt is going to be very good. We'll see. Uh, and now that I've said that, you know, watch Vanderbilt go out and keep it competitive against LSU. Uh, it's one of the great things about college football in the NFL is on any given Saturday or any given Sunday, uh, anything can, uh, can take place in a one game situation. Uh, but I really do believe that if they played, uh, 10 times, you know, 10 straight weekends that, uh, that LSU and Alabama would win all 10. 
Same for uh, New England, Miami or Dallas, Miami next week. Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, especially this year. I mean, it seems to me to, to make a connection between Alabama and the SEC. I mean, uh, Miami and the SEC that the Dolphins basically are maybe enamored of Tua Tagovailoa and they want to be able to draft him number one overall because it seems to me, based on the moves that they have made, whether it's trading Laramie Tunsil or Kenny Stills, and now the talk is that Minka Fitzpatrick might be on the market, that they are basically going in and uh, and rebuilding completely. And uh, I think this is a team that may go 0-16, but probably is not going to do any better than 2-14. and So when you watch college football... Is it more about fandom? Is it more about kind of gambling now in terms of your involvement and lock it in and other things? How do you view your time and your rooting when you're watching sports? Well, I've always been a huge college football fan. Um, and to me, as you break down college football, one of the most, uh, you know, probably entertaining aspects of college football is the degree of tribalism incarnate in, in all these different schools. Um, and uh, I love it, you know. I think that college football still embraces sort of the regionalism of the sport. The NFL is very much a national game. Um, you know, the league is designed to be consumed no matter whether you live in Boston or L.A., whether you're in Miami or Minnesota. And so that's great. It means that we have a great national discussion point. But uh, I think we have all these little different tribes in different aspects of the country. And, uh, and it still matters a great deal to people in the South who wins the SEC and to people in the Midwest who wins the Big Ten and how their respective teams match up against other teams from other parts of the country. Whereas you never hear anybody because, you know, it's a pro sports league. You never hear anybody say, Oh, the, the Northeast is so much better than the, uh, than the Pacific, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. region of the country, right? Because uh, all the teams are, are, you know, somewhat similar in many respects. Whereas I, I think the, you know, sort of brilliant regionalism of college football makes it so much fun. Plus the pomp circumstance, the pageantry, the tailgate atmosphere, being on a college campus, the ages, you know, whether you're the, the little kid who's getting to go to the game or the grandma or grandpa. It's much more of a generational connection in college football to me than a pro sport is. Uh, and I yeah. love it. So I love everything about it. Well, I think that's true, except there are certain pro teams in terms of what I do with injuries that there might be some tribalism still. I mean, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't say anything about certain teams. You know, even if I'm just, you know, reporting what my eyes say, there's there's a lot of uh, hate coming back. on. If certain, you were doing college teams. football, you would be blown away. Pro sports fans can be intensely partisan. There's zero doubt about that. And that's why the sports are so popular, because people are fanatics for their team. But I think uh, college sports is a different level because it feels uniquely connected kind of to the fiber in a way that most pro sports don't. I think most pro sports fans are aware that ultimately they're supporting a business. And I think most college fans think that ultimately they're supporting a school. And that school is something that I think very many people feel intensely connected to in a way that even the most ardent pro sports fans don't. I think you're right. Um, was it last year, the quarterback for UCF, McKenzie, fill in the bl uh, blanking on his last McKenzie name. McKenzie right Milton, now. I think. Was that his McKenzie name? Somebody Milton, can look it up. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, when he had that horrific uh, yes. knee injury. And uh, people on Twitter asked me what it was and said, what do you think? What do you think? And I made a what I thought was a fairly innocent comment. Now, I, I usually don't have time, energy, or whatever to do a lot of college sports, but also uh, because of family and I can't follow it. But also, I do try and respect the student athlete, and I don't know that they're put out there like that, so I try not to. And I thought I said something that was fairly encouraging, like, you know, boy, I feel 
bad for him, a horrific injury, you know, goal is something to return to a normal life, not worry about football, right? And something like that. And boy, I got a lot of hate that I was like bagging on him. I was just commenting on the injury. I'm not yeah. doubting the kid. It was just a bad injury. So uh, I did learn that a little bit. Yeah, look, I mean, anytime emotions are involved, and particularly in social media, when everybody doesn't have to wait, I've always said, you know, it'd be interesting to see what Twitter would look like or social media in general if you had to wait an hour to post what you wanted to send, right? How much vitriol would still go out or would people look at it and be like, ah, you know what? I don't really need to say that. I think sometimes technology can be an incredible asset for us. Other times, you know, uh, when emotions are involved, people send and say things that they wouldn't say if they had, you know, the opportunity to kind of sit and think about what they're putting out into the world. Yeah, yeah, gotcha, gotcha. I think that's true. I, th I think our draft folders would be full if that were the case. <laughs> yeah. <waiting> now. <laughs> so, what are the big storylines that you see right now in the in the NFL, injury wise or otherwise? What, what well, are your I big storylines? Certainly, let's leave injuries aside for a second. I mean, I think that the Patriots and the Chiefs, through two weeks of the season, have looked like uh, they are head and shoulders above everybody else in the AFC. I think the NFC is a little bit more uncertain, and I think injury may factor in there more at the top because obviously the Saints were a big favorite to be one of the best teams. Uh, but I think based on what we've seen so far, Dallas Cowboys have been the best team in the NFC. So I would say those three teams have been the most impressive uh, two weeks into the season. Lots can change, obviously, injury-wise. And then I think, look, I mean, the, the amount of quarterback uh, attrition that we have already seen, whether it was Andrew Luck retiring because of injury-related issues, Nick Foles in the first half, first quarter of the first game, uh, breaking his clavicle. You've got Ben Roethlisberger now out for the year. Uh, it looks like Drew Brees out six to eight weeks-ish uh, for potential surgery on his thumb and kind of the wild mm -hmm. Sam Darnold with mono uh, issue there. And so I, I think there are just a lot of moving parts here, and it's kind of intriguing to see uh, see how they all shake out. Boy, you're uh, you're treading on my turf there. You rattled off all these injuries pretty well there, Clay. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Maybe it's I a big storyline uh, right now. I mean, yeah. it's just uh, the walking wounded, and we're not even finished. You know, uh, I, I don't know when the podcast will go up, but, you know, Monday Night Football is literally about to kick off while we're talking right now. And so uh, we'll see whether uh, whether there's another member of the walking wounded added. I hope not. But I think that's a, that's a pretty big storyline so far for the NFL season, just given how important uh, quarterbacks are. And to have this many of them go down this quickly, uh, we kind of got through the preseason without substantial injury. Uh, but once the bullets started flying in the regular season, uh, there was uh, there have been a lot of, uh, of issues for sure. Yeah. And what's unusual, besides there being the five quarterbacks that you mentioned going down, they haven't gone down in conventional ways. I'm not just talking Sam Darnold and Mono. What I'm talking about is typically, and I've said this a lot, there's a lot of protection for quarterbacks in the pocket. Once you leave the pocket, the protections go away. And that's where the Jimmy Garoppolo tears his ACL or Carson Correct. Wentz two years ago, ACL, LCL, as you try and extend plays and do stuff. But if you look at all these injuries that have happened so far, Darnold come out of the equation. Luck was a carryover injury, wasn't an out-of-the-pocket situation. Nick Foles was in the pocket. Okay, he held onto the ball and threw it. I still think that's a body weight penalty, but that he neither here nor there, he's still hurt either way. Um, but he was in the pocket and the rules were meant to protect him and they didn't. Big Ben was ostensibly in the pocket. He wasn't extending the play and his sort of elbow gave out on, on him, maybe for a little bit of a chronic issue. And Drew Brees was certainly in the pocket. So, you know, I've said for the longest time that, you know, if you look at quarterbacks, 
who would you think would get hurt? Is it Eli Manning and Philip Rivers? Philip, by the way, has the longest active streak uh, starting quarterback over 200 some games. They're not that mobile, but it's more the, the mobile ones that are getting hurt because they're extending plays. But here we have a little bit of an aberration. Uh, these were not guys running amok. Like, no offense, Deshaun Watson is a great player and Carson Wentz is a great player, but Deshaun Watson in week one, he was lucky to survive with six sacks, uh, you know, and uh, flying around and hurt his back. And Carson Wentz was in the medical tent a couple of times with a couple of rib shots, then maybe concussion and running around. Those are how they typically happen. Instead, we got Ben and Breeze, you know, in the pocket doing regular things. And that's kind of what's unusual there. Yeah, no doubt. And and frankly, I mean, if I'm a Chiefs fan or if I'm a Patriots fan, that's what I worry about now. We know those teams are very, very good. The question almost becomes, can you just run the gauntlet of the season and protect your signal caller? Uh, because it seems like Patrick Mahomes is going to be able to throw to anybody. Uh, and certainly we've seen with Brady him have a lot of success with a variety of different receivers over the years. But Brady's missed a season before and Mahomes so far has been pretty healthy. Uh, you just never know when somebody's going to get one of those hits that uh, that changes the entire course of the season. And that's one of the dangers, I think, when you know you have a good team is just sort of cringing every time your quarterback gets hit. No, no, no question there. And, and uh, you know, Mahomes avoided, uh, well, he did get a high ankle sprain injury and avoided serious injury and continued to play in week one there. But, you know, the other thing is I wouldn't count on New Orleans yet, right? If they can stay in the hunt and get to the playoffs, you know, Drew Brees will be back about mid-season. They can make a late-season push and be quite healthy. It's who's healthy at the end a, a lot of times, not who's healthy in the beginning. Yeah, no doubt. Well, you know, thank you so much for your time, Clay. I mean, uh, I kept you a little longer than you keep me on the air on Thursday mornings <laughs> typically, and I appreciate your coming on special for me, and I appreciate our new relationship, and I really enjoy coming on with you and trying to break break down the injuries every week. Well, you're fantastic. People love the, the segments. I appreciate you waking up early and coming on with us, and I hope people enjoyed our conversation too as, here as well. All right. We'll take a quick break and come back for the third and final segment, and we'll let Clay Travis uh, go here. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. If you found $100 on the street and nobody was around to claim it, would you take it? Of course you would. So why do you keep picking winners without getting something for it? That's why you should head to MyBookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win at MyBookie.ag. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. It's also important to be confident when you're betting. Losing your original wager? Time to hedge at halftime? MyBookie offers a full menu of in-game bets. And if you like to bet a little to win a lot, check the parlays. And if that's not enough, this is more than enough. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit up to $1,000. Use the promo code ProFootballDoc to activate the offer. Again, MyBookie.ag and the promo code ProFootballDoc. MyBookie. You play. You win. You get paid. More now with Dr. David Chow, the pro football doc. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the Pro Football Doc podcast. Thanks again to Clay Travis there. So, Greg, it's time for our injury rundown. Let's run through some injuries here. We talked about Big Ben already in the early segment. Any other questions about Big Ben? I think we covered it, right? Ulnar collateral ligament, less quarterbacks than major league pitchers. 
Jake Delhomme was the last guy that I can remember in 2007 that had an ulnar collateral ligament injury. Before that, it might be Bernie Kosar from the Cleveland Browns. So not that common. In some ways, the throwing motion of a quarterback is more difficult than the throwing motion of a pitcher. In some ways, the pitcher is more difficult. Let me explain. A football player's throwing motion on an elbow is more difficult because you're not throwing from a base. There's people around you. You might not be able to step into throws. You have to change your arm angle. Your arm might get hit or your hand. Uh, even when you initiate a pass, you might change your trajectory or targeting because maybe the DB's jumping the route or et cetera. So it's a very dynamic process, which makes a throwing motion of a quarterback more difficult. A baseball player, you know, the mound doesn't move and you know exactly what he's, where you're throwing and the whole deal. So in that sense, it's easier for baseball pitchers. Where it's harder for baseball pitchers is that there is a mound. And believe it or not, that little bit of a mound throwing downhill adds velocity and torque. Baseball players always say you throw with your legs. So you need big, strong legs to get that stride and push off the mound, etc. And uh, also your back, the torque, so to speak. The torque gets transferred through your shoulder into your elbow. So there's more force and there are a lot more pitches that were made with closer to 100% torque and velocity than throws for a quarterback. Very few quarterback throws are max velocity tight window type throws. A lot of them are more touch passes. And uh, in addition to that, baseball players, you know, curveball, slider, screwball, you're putting more torque on your elbow, whereas a quarterback's always trying to throw a a fastball or perhaps a changeup with touch. But not trying to put any curve on it. So that's some of the differences there. The one other thing I'll add about Drew Brees, besides what we talked about, is interestingly enough, Aaron Donald's glove may have contributed to it. If you, A lot of times you follow through and hit a helmet, but the helmet is relatively slippery and the thumb can slide off. So unless you really get it caught in a face mask or something, it's not going to torque. But if you've ever felt it in these NFL gloves, there's no stick on it, but there, it's a very tacky surface. And you jam your thumb into a tacky surface, Aaron Donald's hand, a hand that's moving and swatting at you. And then you get the torque of Drew Brees' follow-through against the twisting and the motion, batting down motion of Aaron Donald's hand. And the stickiness of the glove, that's how the ligament gets torn. So that's kind of uh, the extra thought there. But let's run through some other people here. Other quarterbacks got banged up quite a bit, uh, but still are healthy. Carson Wentz hit in the ribs and chest, had a concussion check, beat up pretty good, but uh, uh, survived. Kind of like he was the Deshaun Watson of week two, right? In week one, Deshaun Watson got beat up pretty good. So hopefully we can keep the rest of these quarterbacks healthy. Marcus Mariota today was reported to have some quad issue, maybe a bruise or something to the thigh. No practice today, Monday. 
but it's a Thursday night game, so that's why he had the injury report on him. Let's talk about some running backs. David Johnson left with a left wrist injury, and there was a temporary scare because this was the same side where he dislocated his wrist, the lunate bone. Came back into the game, lackluster day, but did get a touchdown. I don't think there's anything long-term here with David Johnson, which is good news. Devin Singletary, the number one running back for the Bills. Hamstring strain, I think he's doubtful at best for next week, but we'll see how bad it is. James Conner, I think hyperextended his left knee. He says he's going to play. He says it's not much, it's just a bruiser contusion. And uh depends on where the bruiser contusion is. If it's a bruiser contusion of the bone from the joint impacting and it's at the joint, that's a bigger deal. And for his safety, he might be out a few weeks because you can't turn that into a Hunter Henry type situation where there's really a plateau fracture or something like that. So this depends on where the bruise is, but he's not necessarily in the clear to return yet. Moving on to Corey Clement, the Eagles running back, a kick return, kickoff return in the first play of the second half. He fumbled and then fell on an outstretched right arm. I'm worried he sublux his shoulder. I don't think he's playing next week. Could have a small labral tear that he could play with a strap or a harness and get fixed at the end of the year. But he might miss a week or two, Corey Clement. LaShawn McCoy and Damian Williams of the Chiefs. McCoy's ankle injury was in a big pile, and I did not have a clear view. Uh, Damian Williams is supposed to be a contusion to his knee. We'll have to wait more reports or look at the All-22 film when it's out. Try and get a look at that. Michael Gallup, wide receiver for the Cowboys. He's going to have a knee scope, apparently meniscus surgery. I think two to four weeks is realistic. Two is on the quick side. Four is easily possible. Three to four weeks is the return, a medial meniscus tear. He got hit on the left thigh slash knee, and I think it torqued his knee and caused the meniscus tear. His meniscus tear is different than um, Darius Geis's, who's going to be on injury reserve and miss eight weeks or so. Then we have a whole rundown of three pass catchers for the Eagles, Deshaun Jackson, Groin, Alshon Jeffrey, Calf, Dallas Goddard, Calf. Goddard is a re-injury from the preseason of the calf. Calf injuries do linger. It's only week two. You don't want to turn an early season muscle injury into a season-long deal. That's why all three of them did not return to the game, even though they were questionable. My hunch, Greg, is that at least two of the three miss the next week or two. Remember, they got a game Sunday, then a quick turnaround Thursday. With that fact pattern, at least two of the three, if not all three of the three, will miss time this week. Three offensive linemen to talk about. Austin Blythe, bad ankle sprain, likely to miss some time, inversion ankle sprain. Isaiah Wynn of the Patriots, the left tackle, a turf toe. It didn't happen on the play before he left. It happened in the previous series on the goal line touchdown to Sony Michelle. He was blocking down and in a pile and injured his toe then. Came out for the next series, played one play, and realized he couldn't do it. Don't think it's a bad turf toe where it's surgery, but he easily could miss a couple of weeks here, which could mean that their left tackle and right tackle will be down for the Patriots. I'm sure Belichick will find a way to adjust. They can't really turn the protection because both your bookends are down. They could put in a tight end on one side or the other, but they're kind of short tight ends. 
with Gronk's retirement and Matt Lacoste still not 100%, maybe they'll insert some jumbo packages. Who knows? They're always creative. Joe Staley is likely out for eight weeks. He could be back as soon as six. It was a leg whip type injury. Raheem Mostert, uh, the, uh, his uh, teammate, actually did it when he ran by. But Joe Staley is so tough that uh, I think he beats any timeline. Those are some offensive lineman injuries. And let's move on to some defenders. Aaron Donald's back. I tweeted real time. I felt he would be fine. Locker room, some black back plaster. Keep it warm. We'll follow him, but I think he'll be fine. Adrian Phillips, not Adrian Peterson. Adrian Phillips, Charger safety. Good the work. guy who's re- replacing Derwin James is now out for likely four, no more than six weeks. Broken arm. He broke it on the running back, uh, on Johnson. Thank you very much. on Johnson hurt his shin a little bit on that play, but I think the turn. Adrian Phillips broke his right radius on on Johnson's shin. Isolated radius fracture, plated, probably back in four weeks. Remember, his teammate Thomas Davis in Super Bowl 50 returned in two weeks from his forearm fracture. Similar one. But that was for a Super Bowl. Tim Jernigan, Eagles D-lineman, will join his battery mate Malik Johnson on the sideline. Malik Johnson, previously, at least Malik Johnson. Malik Jackson. He didn't jump in again. Malik Jackson. Uh, Liz Frank injury. He's on injury reserve. Tim Jernigan will not go in injury reserve. Four to six weeks with a likely metatarsal fracture. And finally, a late add, Darius Leonard for the Colts. After the game, he reported concussion symptoms and even though he finished the game, is in the concussion protocol. He's likely going to miss next week. First of all, most concussions miss one week nowadays, but a concussion with symptoms after the game has a very high chance of missing. So that's kind of uh, our quick rundown there. Tell me uh, any questions out there, Greg, or anything, any burning questions from you? Uh, I did get one that was sent to your Twitter timeline. This was a... This was from a gentleman by the name of Blue Chip at Pro Football Doc. Can you talk about the chronic thigh knee tendonitis issue D Ford is continuing to have? He had PRP in training camp and missed all of the preseason. Well, tendonitis is more of an overuse family, so the video is not as helpful. I don't remember his stat line for the week. But uh, yeah, uh, as I said, when he had the PRP injected, it doesn't work in two, three weeks. <laughs> I mean, it's four, six weeks or more for it to work and sometimes with rest. So it's not shocking that he's there. But thanks for asking the question, teammate Nick Bosa. We talked about last week how he re-aggravated that high ankle and uh, didn't practice all week. And indeed, it showed. He re-aggravated the high ankle in week one on the last defensive play of the game late. And uh, no tackles, no sacks, kind of a non-factor this week. Hopefully in another week here, he'll... Get back to uh, himself here. Let's uh, wrap up today with our usual, which is the beast of the week. And we have a lot of candidates here. Let me give some honorable mention. Let's say honorable mention goes to Jonathan Abraham, Abram from the Raiders, the safety who it turns out last week tore his rotator cuff and labrum late in the second quarter and finished a strong game in the second half and now is done for the season with surgery. Let's give the bronze medal to Chris Lindstrom, the first-round draft pick of the Falcons, 
who apparently played nine plays on a broken foot in week one and now is out on injured reserve. That's pretty beastly. Let's give a silver medal to Chargers tight end Hunter Henry from last week, who is now known that with about 30, 40 seconds left in the fourth quarter, suffered a lateral tibial plateau fracture and returned to play in overtime, including catching a 17-yard pass for the Chargers and helping him them to victory in week one. That's a pretty beastly maneuver. Now, admittedly, his lateral tibial plateau fracture is not the same as J.J. Watts, which was displaced last year and needed surgery. But still, that's pretty good. Admittedly, it's a fracture that probably is only seen on MRI. But that's still pretty tough and pretty good. But they all got trumped with the Monday night game tonight, Cleveland versus the Jets, Trevor Simeon, Northwestern product, backup quarterback for the Jets behind Sam Darnold. If you haven't seen it, go to my Twitter timeline. I'm sure it's all over the internet. His ankle gets crushed on a late hit penalty by Miles Jarrett and really gets pushed up and you can see it kind of snap. I think it's a tailless fracture, but it's still an ankle fracture dislocation type injury. And everyone, including me, was shocked and surprised that he stood and put weight on it. Now, it's not like he walked normally, but yet he still stood and put weight on it. And he even kind of limped his way into the locker room, not only off the field, but into the locker room. That's a beast. I mean, to have an injury like that, he's getting an MRI now, but to me, it hasn't been declared yet, but you just watch the video. He easily gets my beast of the week here, and I even tweeted that in real time. So Trevor Simeon, hopefully good luck to you with a quick recovery, but likely he's done for the season and hopefully we're surprised otherwise, but at least he gets the Beast of the Week award here. So thanks, Greg, and thanks for listening and love for you guys to check out the injury index at profootballdoc.com. The injury index kind of was right on for this Monday night game. It kind of said the Jets wouldn't really have much of an offense pass game not shocking, right? No Sam Darnold, and they didn't. Uh, that the, uh, uh, in addition, the Jets wouldn't have that good of a run defense without Quinn and Williams and CJ Mosley. Pretty easy game uh, for the Browns, 23 to 3 here. So, anyways, love to hear your thoughts on that. Love a good thumbs up or a good review. Uh, if you like this podcast, tell your friends. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week. 